In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The first thing we understand about ourselves as humans is we're not made just for ourselves. God, when he created us, he created us as a package. And that package has to do with how we deal not only with ourselves or him, but also with each other. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says to us, very simply, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And in talking about sexual immorality, it's something that, for you particular in the workplace, is something that's going to face you every day. And if it's not a lifestyle even, it's just the way we, we joke now, it's the mannerisms we use, it's the banter, it's the flirting, it's the objectifying of one another, because once we objectify one another, we don't need to deal in human terms. I don't need to respect you as a human if you are just an object, and you likewise with me. And so if we're living in that way, we can never fulfill the will of God. What's the will of God? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should very clearly abstain from sexual immorality. So sanctification within this context has to do with abstaining from that. And you might think, well, why is that such a big issue? Because we have, unfortunately, sexualized almost everything that happens now. All you need to do is, and, and you know, I can see out the door here and buses are going past. You look at the advertising. Look at advertising campaigns now. Look at the way things are sold to us. The way things are packaged. You either want to be like that person and change your image, or you desire the person who's part of the advertising, and we end up losing the person, him or herself. We no longer look beyond the surface, we just look at the surface. And because we look at the surface, we are all now absolutely over-interested in and focusing only on the surface. Whether it's our own image or the image of others. It's great to be healthy. It's great to live a healthy lifestyle. It's great to be fit. But when we overemphasize the sense of physical appearance and fitness, at the expense of what's going on inside us, at the expense of our own spiritual fitness, and then we look at others and we look at them and only focus on what's external and judge what's external and don't consider what we are doing to people internally, that actually sets the stage for many of the relationships people have in this day and age. That's why you can jump from relationship to relationship. There's the sense of gratification. You're satisfied. You 
satisfy yourself in terms of you get what you want, but you also satisfy the urge of this animal instinct. But what you do to the other person, how you interact with the other person, how you affect the other person, how you may even hurt the other person, is no longer an issue. These relationships now that are very loosely built on purely physical relationship, admittedly, right from the start, are very alarming because they are the farthest thing from what God wanted us to achieve. 1 John 2.16 reads, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. It is not the flesh, but the lust of the flesh. It is not the eyes, but the lust of the eyes. It is not life, but the pride of life. So God created the flesh. God created our eyes. God gave us this life. And in and of themselves, there is nothing evil about them. But we make them evil in the way we use them and abuse them, the way we interact with them. Because there's one thing we need to remember. The spirit works in our lives. And the flesh works. And of course we make this distinction. I'm not talking about the flesh as in the way we live our life now. I'm talking about the flesh as a void of spirit. Are there any Shakespearean fans here, by any chance? No. Well, if you ever read The Merchant of Venice, there is one interesting twist to this, and that is there's a relationship between two people, and one of them to seek justification says that he wants from this other person a pound of flesh. That's how he's going to get his retribution, a pound of flesh. And there's this whole situation of how do you make this happen? And therefore, to take a pound of flesh, you must kill this person. But then he had a very good lawyer friend who said, fine, you can have all the flesh you want. Pound of flesh? Give you two pounds of flesh. The only problem is that blood is not in the equation. So you can take as much flesh as you want, but you can't take blood with it, because that would be killing. And so therefore, the agreement was voided. What am I talking about? You might say, rightly so. Flesh, when mixed with spirit, is what a human should be. But flesh, void of spirit, is the flesh we're talking about here. We should never be flesh void of spirit. Everything we do must have spirit intertwined in it. The way we speak, the way we joke, the way we look, the way we interact with each other, the way we carry ourselves, the relationships we have, everything, everything must be that. One of the biggest problems we have is that our American friends on the other side of the, uh, the pond have this wonderful expression that is garbage in, garbage out. 
right? Whatever you input into your mind is what the mind works and processes and then outputs. So if I am inputting sin, if I am inputting lust, if through my eyes and through my ears, through my expressions and sensations, through my relationships, my interactions, I'm just taking in all of this, the mind takes it, processes it, stores it, and then uses it. And the mind is a factory. It is a production place of thoughts. So what happens is it takes in what I see or what I hear or what I feel, processes it, and can do whatever it wants with it. You could be walking down the street and a two-second snapshot from the eye that goes into the mind can become a full-length movie. The mind will take it and process it, however it wishes. That's why our Lord says to us in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. Lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is good. If it is bad, your whole body is bad. So therefore, if the light in you is darkness, if you have taken in this darkness, then how great is that darkness? If I have seen this sin and internalized it and taken it in, this sin that becomes part of me, part of, part of my thoughts, part of my life, part of all of my interactions, then it becomes indivisible. The Epistle of St. James, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? There is a desire. We all have desires in this. That desire needs to be worked with, worked against. Not every desire is bad. But the desires that go against the law that God has instilled, the desires that work against our sanctification, our holiness, the desires that turn us, after we have been created as the image and likeness of God, with His holiness and His beauty, the desires that turn us into carnal beings, that is what wars against us. And you know what? It's a good thing that it wars against us. Because we get to one stage, now I want you to be careful of this, we get to one stage where there will no longer be a war when the desires win over. And that's when we are totally desensitized to sin. That's when we just don't care. It doesn't matter anymore. That's when you have a lustful thought and you don't even bother fighting against it because it is what it is. 
So the war is a good thing because it is an indication that the spirit and the conscience are still alive. But once the war depletes, and if sin just takes its own course, then it means we have moved from the image and likeness of God to the image and likeness of this world. At the, sound of, at, at the risk of sounding contentious, it's almost reverse Darwin. It is not the ape becoming the man, it is the man becoming the ape. It is not the animal taking on humanity, but human completely submitting to animal instinct and desire. And it's a regression. It's a change from who we should be. First Corinthians six eighteen. We're warned. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. The sins we commit are outside. But once we internalize the sin, it becomes a problem. Because St. Paul goes on to say, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You see, there is a school of thought that says that humans are defiled. They're, they're evil. There's, um, there's a misunderstanding, and it, it's a horrible misunderstanding, uh, that sometimes you find in Upper Egypt, um, and, and is quite prevalent also in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, not in the church itself, but in some Ethiopian faithful, that because of their respect for the sacraments, they will not take communion during their adult life. So when you go into Ethiopian Orthodox churches, you'll find the people taking communion are the infants and the elderly. Because people feel that during their early years, adolescence, middle age, that because they, they sin and because they live in this world, that they're defiled. But that is so far from the truth. And it, it's, it's wonderful to see people, when, when you challenge this, and you say, but hang on, no, you're not. You're not defiled. You're the image and likeness of God. You're not defiled at all. We're all defiled in terms of being subject to sin. We all sin, we make mistakes, we fall. But then through repentance and confession, we rise again. And that's the liberation of Christianity. Our Christianity doesn't focus on the servitude of sin. It focuses on the liberation of repentance. It focuses on the liberation of salvation. So we are not defiled. We are actually temples of the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us. When you, when you walk into your church next time and you look at the altar, and I've said this so many times, you are actually as sacred as that altar. That altar has been consecrated with the Holy Chrism, with Mayroon. So have we. What is that consecration for? Consecration is to set apart. 
to consecrate something for is to set it apart for, which means that that, that altar is never used for anything else. I remember being a very young deacon back in Australia. Had a wonderful servant who was with us, but he was the kind that scared the living daylights out of you. You know, uh, all of you who are deacons will probably have one of these guys in your church, or at least in my generation. Now people are much more friendly. But he would scare the living daylights out of you because they had a concept of how you should be in the sanctuary when you were serving. And one day I was serving in liturgy and Abuna had, you know, these little bits of paper that end up on the altar uh, because of the uh, commemoration of, of, of the departed. So he said, could you please just write all of those on one piece of paper for me so when I'm reading them out, it's not so confusing. So I, being very young, went, got a piece of paper and a pen, and very naively put the piece of paper on the altar and started writing. Now, I'm not, I'm not writing a personal letter. I'm writing these names that, that my priest told me to write. My friend the deacon came, looked at me and said, what are you doing? By this stage, I had almost fallen down because all he needed to do was say, what are you doing? And you were petrified. Writing, he said, does this look like a desk to you? No. Looked at me and said, go right over there. So I obediently went and I went and wrote there. But you know what? He taught me something. Until now, Deacons who serve with me at the altar will know I am verging on neurotic when it comes to anything on the altar. Because I understood from that time the sanctity of the altar. The altar is there and consecrated purely to receive the bread and wine and upon it have them changed into the body and blood of Christ. Now, that same consecration is done to all of us when we're, when we're baptized and chrismated. We are set apart for Christ, which means, and this is the litmus test. You know, people say, can I do this? Can I do that? And I'll say them very simply, you know what? If you can do it in your sanctuary, do it yourself. If you can lie, scream, shout, become violent, become immoral, whatever you want. The litmus test is this. What is allowed in the sanctuary is allowed for you. Because you're that sacred. And that shouldn't be a burden. That should be a beautiful crown we wear with pride. We take sacredness as a burden sometimes. But it's not a burden. It's an honor. It's a blessing from God saying, I have made you so sacred. So don't change that. Very few of us would look at ourselves as being sacred, unfortunately. We tend to have a very, very low image of ourselves. We tend to feel unworthy most of the time. And we forget that A, God made us, 
B, he knows exactly how he made us. C, he knows that we're going to make mistakes and fall. And so, he will also, if we are repentant and confess and come back to him, will raise us again. We have no need to feel defiled unless we hold on to that sin and don't let it go. If we hold on to it with all of our might and say, no, this is fine, you know what, I know it's wrong, but I'm not letting go of it. This is mine and I like it this way. In that case, no one will ever, ever be able to help us because God himself will not override that freedom. It's important for us to look carefully at the process of sin. The process of sin is critical to the way we live our lives. James 1, 14 and 15. Those of you who have your Bibles, please open up. But each one is tempted. Each one is tempted. We're all tempted. Now let's ask the problem. When he is drawn away by his desires and is enticed. So if I'm not drawn away by my desires, if I'm not enticed, I'm not tempted. The minute I let my desires run away with me, is the minute I become enticed and tempted. But that's only the beginning. Then goes on in verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. So when someone has a desire, and that desire is fully grown, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That all starts, it all starts from me leaving myself to be drawn away by desires. As I said, having desires is something that is inherent in our nature. Because we war, like I said, the war is a healthy sign. The war is a healthy sign. Because it means that that you are fighting against the desires, fighting against the temptations. We don't want to leave ourselves to be enticed and then sin and then spiritually die. So what do we need to do? So that that doesn't happen, we need to be awake. Again, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant. Sober and vigilant. Now, sober, of course, means don't be drunk. But it doesn't just mean don't be drunk with alcohol. It means also don't let the world intoxicate you. Don't let your desires intoxicate you. Don't let lust intoxicate you. Don't let all of these things control you. 
Don't be drunk on desire. Don't be drunk on wealth. Don't be drunk on prominence and importance and pride. Be sober. Because if you're drunk on any of these things, then you don't make the right assessment. If you're drunk on any of these things, you don't know what you're doing. Be sober. And more than just being sober, so being sober is not enough. Being sober is the baseline. Be sober, be vigilant. So even if you're not intoxicated, make sure you're looking around. Make sure you're careful. Make sure you're not leaving yourself exposed. Make sure you're covering your weak points. That you know exactly what's coming from where. Being vigilant is like being a soldier on guard at night. In any military camp, there's always sentry duty. There's always someone awake all night. Why? Because you don't leave yourself exposed to the enemy. Because you have an enemy. We walk through this world pretending like we don't have an enemy. We do have an enemy. What is St. Peter going to say? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So we are actually prey. Now I know it sounds dramatic, I'm really sorry about that. I don't mean to scare you or sound rather dramatic, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Satan wants us to fall. Satan wants us to walk away from a life of holiness. He wants us to fail in our spiritual lives. That's accepted. It's expected. What we should not accept or expect of ourselves is that we just give in to it. We should never accept that. We should never accept that just because there's a roaring lion seeking to devour me, that I need to become a human burger. I don't just sit idly and get eaten because Satan desires to devour me. Because why? Because I have within me, in the Holy Spirit, around me, in the presence of Christ, the power to overcome that predator. Because next to that, the predator is nothing. Again, we don't want to be defeatist. But you know, come on, everyone's like this. It's something everyone does. Why should I be any different? But come on, I go to work and they're all the same. They all make the same jokes. They all say the same things. They all act in the same way. They all flirt in the same way. So I'm just blending in. I'm fitting in. That's what happens. We become intoxicated on this. After becoming intoxicated, we stop being vigilant. You wouldn't expect someone on sentry duty to be drunk. Because if you are intoxicated, you cannot be vigilant. And if you're not vigilant, you can't protect yourself or anyone else. And if you don't protect yourself, then you are easy prey. And if you are easy prey, you will be devoured. That's the simple fact. We face struggles, but I think, leaving all that aside, we need to put the positive. 
If we want to leave all of this aside, we need to replace it by something. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and there is any praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I can't just say to you, don't think of what is sinful. But to replace thinking about what is sinful, you need to meditate on what is good and righteous. The true, the noble, the just, the pure, the, the lovely, that of good report. Replace the evil thought, the thought of evil desire, with thoughts of righteousness and purity and goodness. Because the mind will never ever be empty, ever. It's always got to churn something over, and it will always produce something. To live a life of purity, and to fight all of this, we often want to see God. And St. Augustine has a wonderful, wonderful expression. He says, you say to me, show me your God. I answer you, everything you see in your heart that might sadden God, remove. So if you want to see God, remove anything that is an obstacle to seeing him. If you want to see God, remove anything that distances you from him. If you want to see God, then make sure your eye, the lamp of the body, is full of light, that in him and through him you may also be light in the world. And glory be to God forever. Amen.